Blog Talk Radio. Is it possible that this is the 200th segment of Parenting Your Challenging Child? Wow. That's a lot of radio programs, and they're all archived on the Lives in the Balance website and in iTunes. What an amazing free resource for people. Susie, good work. Well, you, Dr. Green. And here on this 200th program, we have a bunch of people lined up. I believe one of them is an individual named Alex. Is he calling into the program? Uh, You broke up there for a second. Did you say, is he calling in? Yes. Yes. Good. What is his area code so I know how to pop him onto the program? Sure. 716. All right. We don't have him yet. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start without him. I'm not sure if he's going to even be able to get in because the phone lines are completely lit up. But let's uh, march through who we've got so far, and then hopefully Alex will call in. Yes? Sure. Here we go. Let's start with area code 620. Area code 620, you are on the air. The 200. Good morning. Oh, good. This is who I thought it was. You're going to help us celebrate, yes? Yes. I would love to say my name, so if you give me permission, I'm happy to, but I'm also happy to say just 620. I'm fine with that, too. If you want to say your name, you can be my guest. Okay. I'm And you can can stay on the program as long as you want, by the way, because um, the more the merrier. But go ahead. Stella, now we know your name. Thank you. Yes. I am part of the B-Team Facebook page um, and have been very active in that group. Congratulations, Dr. Green. Hi, Susie. Hi, Stella. (laughs) I wanted to just call in and once again say thank you for this show. Thank you for this model. Um, Before I came across the explosive child back in... Oh my gosh, 2012, um, I really felt like our little family was spiraling out of control. And now I don't just have hope, I have a way <laughs> to get to hope. <laughs> and, um, you know, even though things aren't always perfect, they never will be probably, but we certainly are getting better and better. And um, every single member of my family has benefited from. CPS and um, our our explosive son, um, even this morning, woke up saying, uh-uh, not going to school. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And I reminded my husband, just tell him, come out here and let's talk about it. And within a few sentences, he was talking about the classes that he was excited to go to. So communication, honest listening, empathy, all of these things have been helping and um, turning my, my kid around. And I can't, I can't say enough about this approach and Dr. Green, all that you have done for us. Thank you. 
what a pleasure for me, and always happy to hear from you. Do you want to stay on the line? I'd be happy to. Cool. Let's see what else we have coming here. We've got three other people holding. Um, and you might be able to help us out with people who are actually calling in, not necessarily for the 200th anniversary, but um, for um, help. So here we go. Area code 646, you're next in the queue. How are you today? Area code 646. Hello? Hello? Hey, this is Alex. How are you? A familiar voice. <laughs> How are you, Alex? Life is good. Life is good? Well? I am doing well. I have zero to complain about. Alex, how is this possible? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I think uh, the voice on the other end of the line has something to do with that, both of them, I guess. Well, that's good to hear. Now, Alex, you are um, officially a previously explosive kid. <laughs> Tell our listeners how old you are now. I am 26, soon to be 27. Wow. That was a long time ago. Um, your mom happens to be Susie, doesn't she? <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, yes. You are the son of my co-host, Susie, yes? Yes. And you are the kid we talk about on this program sometimes. Don't worry, not that often. <laughs> Even um, in a couple of we years, thought it, <laughs> a couple. We won't say what name you have in those books because that would give it away. That's just between you and me. But um, I know that your mom thought it would be really cool to have you on the program. Um, I don't know if you heard what Stella was saying. Stella is a mom who uh, whose son is not 26 yet, but he will be someday. Um, tell us um, what it was like to be an explosive kid and what you think uh, you found to be most helpful. Uh, it was it was awful. It was really frustrating. Um, you know, disappointing results in school. Um, very stressful at home, and you could see the effect it had on you know not just my parents and our relationship, but um, the resentment it created between siblings. Um, even you know, uh, stress between grandparents. Um, every relationship, not just with myself and those individuals, but but outside was was impacted by you know, my explosive behavior and kind of the, the warped view of reality that I had at the time. Can you talk a little bit about the warped view of reality? Well, if, if something wasn't my way, then it was wrong and it was bad and it was something I needed to reject. Um, and it made for an incredibly stressful, you know, day-to-day kind of living situation. And what do you think, I'm sure that the real world taught you it's not always going to be your way. Um, And sometimes the real world does a better job of teaching some of the things that kids need to know than parents do. Um, Was there anything that your parents did that got the ball rolling? Yeah, so I think the the first thing was my, my father was almost equally black and white as I was. And as my mother really encouraged him to at least take a look at your model, um, 
it, it kind of was a paradigm shift in, in the way he viewed our relationship and our interactions. No longer was he the only one that could be right, but it created kind of this collaborative, at least an attempt at a collaborative way of, of, of solving these, you know, day-to-day problems, for lack of a better term. Um, and so, so as soon as my dad was able to, to at least buy into the fact that there might be a different way rather than just punishing or yelling um, and kind of even just escalating these tensions or hostilities, um, it, it opened the door for me to take advantage of other opportunities that helped me So we've got you back then with a strong personality. We've got your dad back then with a strong personality, and we've got your mom. Um, and I don't know, would you say that your mom has a strong personality? I would say a lot of things about my mom, but she's strong, <laughs> but not a strong personality necessarily. Uh, she wanted to do what was best for her children, but also needed to, you know, make sure her marriage was all right and and I think this was one of the only things that, you know, helps reconcile both interests. And she did it, didn't she? She certainly did. She was that change agent that we badly needed. Um, well, excuse me. I would say it was a team effort. We, you know, it wasn't just one person. It was somebody whose approach made sense to us and and understood. Just like your mom to sell herself short, um, I would say that um, what your mom did between those two strong personalities and her dogged determination to make sure that things went as well as they possibly could was really quite something. Um, Alex, do you want to tell us anything about what you do these days and what the journey has been for you since you left your home and your parents? Yeah, maybe just to step back. Like I was a pretty difficult case. I had to fly to Boston sometimes every other week, at least once a month for uh, three or four years probably, right, Ross? Um, and I was getting thrown out of school and, and kicked off soccer teams and lots of stuff was, was going on that, that you helped me work through. But um, after graduating uh, cum laude from uh, Colgate University, I helped launch a business that I was running for two and a half, three years. Um, started working with some of the largest retailers in the country, including Target. Uh, shut that down about a year and a half ago, and since then I've joined a large enterprise technology company where I'm working with um, banks, uh, private equity firms, hedge funds, things like that. And I've got an interesting question for you. First of all, I can't tell you how much, um, how many people are probably going to be very glad to listen, not only to I don't want to put it this way, to, to, to just how difficult you were, but also to just how well you've done um, gives a lot of people hope, especially those who are still in the thick of having a kid who's really having a difficult time and making things difficult in the family. 
But I have a question for you. You've been getting um, thrown out of different psychologists over the years other than yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm glad to say that I wasn't one of them. Um, But here's the question. A lot of parents wonder about the real world. They think that if they collaborate with their kid on solving problems, that that's not going to be helpful in the real world because in the real world, that's not the way the world works. So I'm curious about what you have to say about that. To what degree do you find it in the real world necessary to collaborate with people on solving problems versus the degree to which people are just telling you how to solve your problems? Yeah. So um, initially, like, I don't want to pretend like what happened with me, you know, is is the same situation that, you know, so many of other your listeners, patients have. But for me, what was most important um, was just getting me to the next phase of my life, whatever it took to Mm -hmm. get me to graduate from high school, um, to get me to continue playing soccer, whatever it was, so I could get to college and, and have those experiences kind of enlighten me. Um, and even taking a step back, the the reps I was able to get, kind of having to work things out, a mutually kind of um, mutually acceptable outcome, trying to craft those was, was was much needed and incredibly valued. But I think at the most kind of elementary level, just getting me out of the house was the most important thing. Without that collaborative problem-solving methodology, I don't think I was going to be able to graduate out of school or, or things like that. Um, taking it into the real world, I think a lot of kids do better there than they do in their actual homes um, for a number of reasons. But I guess, again, if there's one thing to take away, you just got to get them to the point where they're able to interact with those outside their home and kind of step out of that comfort zone, which frankly can almost enable some of those uh, less than healthy behaviors and, and habits. Uh, the degree in which I'm collaborating um, outside of the, yeah, in, in the real world is every day I negotiate, um, whether it's internally trying to get resources, get pricing approved, negotiating on pricing and, and the different solutions that you know, a private equity or fund or a bank or a hedge fund you know, want to pay versus what I want to sell it to them for. Every day I'm negotiating um, with my girlfriend, with my roommates. Literally every day we're we're collaborating. So it's not something that ends um, when when I left your office, but yeah, something that's an important part of my life and uh, certainly was was honed um, during the time I spent with you guys. Sounds like what you're saying is parents don't have to finish the job. They just got to make sure it goes well enough so the world can finish the job. I think that's a much more articulate way to put what I just said. Yeah. Well, I I think you actually put it very articulately, but I like to uh I'm a summarizer, you know? <laughs> so Stella, we have Alex on the phone here. Stella, you have um kids who are younger. Yes. What do you think of this notion that you don't have to to get the job done completely, you just need to get him to the part to the point where he's doing well enough so that the real world can kick in and take it from there. 
I feel so validated by that because that's where my instinct has been taking me. Um, with, um, hi, Alex. Hello. My Sarah. son's. Hi, my sons are 13 and 11, and my 13-year-old is an explosive kid, and my 11-year-old is an implosive kid. So I have both sides of it, um, which is kind of wonderful because we all deal with exploders and imploders every single day. You should get a cup of coffee, coffee with Susie after this. She had the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But um, I've been... Um, you know, almost daily now I go to both my boys, but especially my 13-year-old who um, was skipped from kindergarten because he could read at the age of two. Um, but so he's a freshman in high school, and in just a few short years, the expectation is that he'll be making his way through college and out in the real world. And I keep saying this language to him. I keep saying what I'm giving you are the basics for where you're going in life and you need these basic skills so that when you're in your own apartment, in the dorm room with a roommate, with colleagues, getting a job, that when things get tough, you've got the tools to use to keep calm, to talk about it, to work things out. And um, so hearing you say that um, just really makes me feel validated that um, I am using the right language along with this model for my son because I have been wondering like am I am I really like doing this right <laughs> you know so thank you Alex I got another question for you yeah this this is going to be something a lot of parents want to hear as well um how do you get along with your mom and dad now I have an incredible relationship with my mom and dad now. Um, literally, it's, it's kind of interesting because a lot of my adolescence was just keeping them in the dark, whether it's about how I was doing in school, the relationships I had with friends or girls, uh, maybe the, the drugs I was getting into at the time. Um, but at this point in my life, really, by the time I was, well, maybe not my freshman year of college, but maybe sophomore year of college where I was really kind of, functioning and, and, uh, and, and launched for a better term. Um, incredibly open relationship. I tell them everything, um, maybe overshare, um, but that's the, the degree of comfort I feel um, in, in how they validated everything I've done um, in how close I feel to them and how appreciative I am of, of everything they did for me. You know, flying to go see you every other week, like we're not like a wealthy family by any means and, my dad will probably never be able to retire because of of, of all those expenses that we incurred. But, um, again, the relationship that we're able to have today is not something that, you know, any anybody could have imagined um, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Susie, any questions that you want to ask Alex? Um, no, not really. Just, I'm, we're incredibly proud of him and what he has overcome and accomplished. Um, he really lives, you know, we live with the model every day.
Alex, anything else you want to tell us about your previous life as an... Well, let me ask you one more question. Do you still lose your temper? Uh, that's a good question. I have... Do I ever lose my temper? I think physical manifestations of it have have not taken shape over the past, you know, eight years or so. I think I still have, you know, a, a short fuse, if you will, and certain things can set me off. Um, but through doing things like, you know, even 10 minutes of meditation every day, um, being active, trying to, to work out, uh, giving back, you know, maybe a day or two a month just with some philanthropy to, to get some perspective. Um, I've been able to, to do some things that help me kind of just step away and, and realize that maybe this isn't worth getting upset over. And so I think a lot of the relationships I have um, benefit from that. And then also, as you get older, you're able to spend more time with those that maybe don't set you off to such a degree. Um, and, and that creates an environment um, that's a lot healthier and uh You get to pick your professors. You get to t- pick your friends. You get to pick who you hang out with. You even get to pick whether you want to keep a job that you may not like so much. You, you bring up an interesting, I guess, two interesting kind of scenarios. You mentioned professors, which you don't get to pick. And even job, yes, I can, you know, resign any day, and I could hopefully find a new job tomorrow. But at the same time, I think, and Stella, hopefully you're still on listening to this. Um, if you have yep. somebody that has the intellectual capacity to realize that certain decisions as you become older are are kind of irrevocable, like you can't go back. Um, and when those real-world implications become, you know, real, I, I think you become much more likely to kind of take a step back and, and think about how you're, you know, current actions might impact the future. So, again, I think it's all about just getting you to the point where you can make some of those, um, you know, where you can get to the real world. And, and if you have to learn from a couple mistakes, you know, it's better to learn early than, than to learn later on. But, again, as long as the person has the, the intellectual capacity to realize what the implications might be, um, I think they're going to be significantly better off. That's great. Stella or Susie, any other questions for Alex? I'm I'm out of questions. I'm just I'm so glad to be talking to Alex again. Um it's a really cool experience for one. me. Go ahead. I do have one question if there's a little bit more time. Yeah. Go ahead. Great. Alex, um was there like I know that you've mentioned that leaving home and being out in the real world um, you know, made all the difference and kind of brought everything um, into full circle for you where you could um, take the model even further. But do you remember being home in those school years? What aspect of the model really started clicking for you um, before you left home? Was there any particular yeah. part of it? Yeah. So I think it was a lot of it had to do with kind of the shift in the way we looked at the problem as a whole. And when my dad was no longer my adversary and he was now on my team, I could leverage him as a resource to, to 
you know, that, that made for even, you know, uh, it, it just created an environment that was much more conducive to my own success. So if my dad and I wanted to go to bat for me and understood where I was coming from, then he could speak with my, my teachers, speak with my coaches, and help me collaborate with them better, right, which ultimately allowed me to get out of the door, get out the door and, and, and get to college. Um, so, so, again, making sure you've identified the problem and you, and you speak to it in such a way that people are now on your side rather than kept in the dark and they're much more willing to, to work with you and almost be in your corner, kind of your little advocate, and that kind of increases your probability for success. So that's one of the things. Um, the other thing I think I'll mention um, is, is changing the way we looked at it um, psychopharmacologically and the idea that this wasn't just me being stubborn. It was probably or me being, you know, a, a bad person or a bad kid, but, you know, there was a chemical imbalance. And I was, you know, maybe not the first person in my family to, to experience that, um, but certainly the first that really needed some, some rebalancing, if you will. And, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. So the, the collaborative exercises and the new way of thinking that Ross brought mixed with, you know, some, some help with my serotonin levels um, created this, you know, end result, right? And then just growing up too. But I think, I do believe, and I don't know if Ross can still use this line, he even spoken in like 10 years or so, but you know, children do well if they can. And, you know, part of that is, is chemical. And then the other part is, is arming them with the tools that they need in, in the real world. So I think tackling it holistically, leveraging whatever resources you can, um, you know, ultimately allow you and 99% and of the kids out there to be successful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Alex, we really appreciate you being on. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sometimes in your neck of the woods. You and I should get together for dinner sometime and reminisce. <laughs> uh, that that would be awesome. I'd love to see that. All right. I think it would. I think it would be a blast. Alex, thanks so much. Mom, mom can I mom can I get back to work now? Absolutely, sweetie. Thank you so much for doing the program with us. All right. No problem, guys. Take care. Take Bye, care. Alex. Bye, Stella. Stella, you still there? Yes, sir. Good. We have another caller from area code seven eight one. Let's bring that person on now. Area code 781, you're on. What's up today? Hi, Dr. Green. Hi, Susie. Hi, Stella. Hi. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful to be on here, and congratulations on your 200th show. Uh, what an accomplishment. <laughs> well, um, you know what? Having, I, having Alex on, um, basically, that, that, that's, that's the cake right there. Absolutely. Uh, he's become such a great kid. So we, we really appreciate him doing that. And, Susie, we appreciate you getting him on here. Well, and it really it's is wonderful to hear him. And to hear what he has to say is, is very inspiring. <laughs> I've got a big smile on my face. <laughs> well, I am, um, like Stella, I am also a very active member of the B Team group on Facebook. Um, I also am having a very hard time not using my own name. <laughs> oh, you can feel free but, to use your name if you want okay. to. <laughs> All right. Well, this is Jennifer. Hi, Stella. Hi, Jennifer. Um, 
<laughs> nice to finally actually talk to you. Right? Uh, <laughs> and I can say that the first time that I read The Explosive Child was in October of 2008 when my son was almost five. And it was my vacation reading when we went to Disney World. So that should give you some idea of what kind of a situation we were in at that point. Um, and I read it, and I wasn't ready to embrace the idea of CPS yet. It just, it was so foreign that it just, it was like, yeah, that sounds great, but we can't do that. Um, but the idea that kids do well if they can took root in my brain and started to shift my mindset without me even realizing it. And I started to move towards plan B without even really knowing I was moving towards plan B. And then in 2015, when we were in another very big crisis, uh, the counselor at my son's school suggested that I read Lost at School. And I said, wait a minute. I know who this guy is, <laughs> and I went back to the Explosive Child, went back to the Lives in the Balance website, found the B-Team group on Facebook, and said, okay, this is where we need to be, and at that point, we planned seed just about everything that was everything, <laughs> and started very small, and what I found was that it built trust, and it gave my son some control that he was sorely missing in his life. He, didn't, he felt like he had control over absolutely nothing. And now all of a sudden we were having these conversations where he was being heard. His opinion mattered. And he slowly started to trust that I really meant what I was saying. And our relationship got better, and he started to be much more open about having discussions with me, um, although he still sometimes, I did explain very basically the ideas of plan A, plan B, and plan C to him, and he will still at some point, he'll say to me, can we just plan C that, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, which is wonderful because it's like, okay, you know, he's, he's starting to be able to voice, I just can't handle that right now. And uh, it has made a huge difference for us. Um, my husband was a little slower to come around, but finally when he started to see it working, he started to embrace the idea more. And we were both lucky enough to be at the summit a couple weeks ago, and I was thrilled that he got to attend the class and listen to you directly, Dr. Green, and learn from you. And um, it's, it's really, it's changing not just the way that things work in our house, but the way things work everywhere. I find that I approach every conversation now from a Plan B standpoint. And it's, uh, it, it's making things all over our lives easier. Um, it helps you understand oh I'm so sorry oh that's okay go ahead I was just going to say it helps you understand all human beings better 
Absolutely. People do well if they can. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a quote that I like to put up. I frequently will share on the B team. It's a Maya Angelou quote that says, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I think that people feel there's a lot of when someone embraces the idea of CPS finally, there's a lot of guilt about things that you did before that as a parent that now you think, oh, God, I just made it so much worse. But, you know, we do the best that we can all the time. And the fact that we're doing better now is really what's important. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that as a parent, but now we have better tools and our kids have better tools. And we are so thankful for that and so grateful to you for supplying them to us. I am delighted that you called in. I should mention that um, I was in Detroit speaking yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, one of my rare Sunday speaking engagements. And um, I was doing a group for parents after I did this keynote address. And um, one of the parents said, you know, I was online and found this thing called the B team. <laughs> and, and it's been so helpful to me. And this is what they've been talking about, Ross. It's what you're talking about. And I said, well, you know what, um, fantastic. Well, you know what, so what's, what's really cool is CPS has moved well beyond just me at this point. Yes, the books, um, yes, this radio program, but the B team is helping so many people. And so I'm really grateful that you are a part of that, both you and Stella. Um, my um, understanding from Kim, who oversees the group, uh, is that things can get pretty intense in there sometimes, which is just proof that even people who are really keen on Plan B can sometimes get caught up in those very human emotions and sometimes lose track of themselves. But a guy who came to one of my advanced trainings two years ago said to me, he sat through the whole three days of the advanced training, and he said to me, you know, I came away with one thing. Always go back to the model. Always go back to the model. And uh, hopefully that's a theme that the B team lives by too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's neat when things get a little bit heated in the group. Um, it's wonderful when Kim, um, within a thread, will say, so-and-so, I private messaged you. Remember, we don't just use Plan B with explosive kids. We use it hmm. with each other. There's a conversation to be had here. We will collaborate away from the thread and then we will come back into the thread and give updates um, once solutions are in place. And, you know, it's just a great reminder because then you take that and, and you apply Plan B with your spouse. You apply it with a coworker when things are getting heated and, you know, always go back to the model. So I think we need T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> or 
I think we need tattoos. <laughs> I've always wanted a tattoo. I've just always wondered where I would stick the thing. Um, it's, it, it would either be my ankle or my derriere, and I'm just, you know, the, the indecision has kept me from moving forward. But is the expression, the expression that we're deciding on here is uh, always go back to the model? Yeah, I love that. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys can talk privately about where you're going to put your tattoos. Um, <laughs> I don't feel like I need to know that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> so here's one. We have four of you on now. We do have an email that we could respond to before we call it a day on this, our 300th program. I did select a few. And here's one that I thought would be good for today if we got to it. I have a question about the theory about a, of a child being explosive because it is lacking because of lagging skills. A couple of years ago, my then 8-year-old daughter's school class changed teachers 3 times in 1 year. The school then started reporting that my daughter was having daily tantrums. Some teachers tried to imply that she had ADHD or autism. One parent in the school wanted me to read The Explosive Child to make me understand what was wrong with my daughter. I was very upset that they couldn't see that the problem wasn't within her, but due to external factors. She is a highly intelligent and very empathetic girl. Once her class had a permanent teacher, her tantrums subsided, and as far as I know, she hasn't been explosive in school for years now. This week I learned that all teachers in my children's school are expected to read your book. I'm afraid that they will start looking for faults in children rather than in structures, educational plans, or relationships between the teachers and students. What are your thoughts on this matter? Before you all kick in, let me just throw my two cents in here. It's always both. There was something about having three teachers in one year or something about the demands and expectations those three teachers were placing upon our then eight-year-old daughter that were exceeding her capacity to respond adaptively to those demands. So it would always be the characteristics of your daughter and the characteristics of the environment that cause eight-year-old daughters and 58-year-old men and everything in between and after to look bad sometimes. It's always both. Um, so while it is outstanding that your daughter hasn't been explosive in school for years now, there was something about what was going on back then that your daughter was having difficulty handling and communicating about through explosive behavior. But let me ask um, our three parents who we now have on with us today, um, what do you all think about that? Is it um, ever just the environment? Um, how helpful did you find the lagging skills mentality? And um, just say if you want to go first so we don't talk over each other. I'll go first. Stella, you're up. 
Well, you know, um, the the saying, it takes two to tango. Uh, you know, I think that this plays here. Um, you know, I, my mind went to this parent's final comment about how loss of school or this, this model, you know, might cause educators to be on the lookout for certain things. I um, respectfully disagree with that in, in the sense that this model really encourages um, a heightened awareness for the need for clear communication, whether it's during the empathy step um, or especially in the um, adult concern step. You know, um, it really causes the, the adult that is the caretaker or the teacher to have to take a step back and articulate what the concern is in such a way that the, the two sets of concerns can be taken care of. Um, and so it just strengthens communication. Um, it allows for collaboration and um, better relationship building. Um, and, and that can be utilized even with children whose behavior isn't explosive, um, whether they're imploding or just kind of your run-of-the-mill kid that just happy-go-lucky and goes with goes along with everything. So there's always, you know, room for improvement. Um, and just for that fact alone, um, I would celebrate a school district um, asking all of its educators to read this and ponder it. Period. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Susie or Jennifer, anything to add to that? I think that I would say one of the discussions that we have oftentimes in the B team group is that, and, and we often will repost pieces of the show that reflect it, and we'll discuss places where it's worked in our houses or our lives, is that CPS doesn't mean there's no expectation. It doesn't mean that you just let the kid rule the roost. It means that you have an expectation, and if that expectation is met, then you don't need a plan. That was Kim tells us that often, um, that you only need to look for a plan when there's an expectation that is not meeting that child's skills. So, you know, it, it sounds like this this mom is afraid that there won't be expectations, and that isn't how it works at all. Um, and I think that a lot of times people are afraid of that before they really understand what's going on. And I think that using Plan B builds your child's ability to work in other situations beyond the one that the discussion actually addresses, too. So, you know, I can't see how it would ever be a bad thing. Susie, any thoughts on that? Well, I agree with both of you. Um, I, I don't I think it's wonderful that the teachers are required, you know, to read the explosive child, 
um, I don't see it as looking at children. Everyone always has things to work on, and so that um, the lagging skills mentality just clarifies that. Um, and as I, we always say, the the model is just such a compassionate, enlightened, kind way of looking at children, um, and strengthens relationships. Well, I want to thank all three of you and Alex for helping us celebrate our 200th rendition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We are now going to go to a once-a-month format, so our next program will be on December 5th, 2016. Thanks to all three of you. I am so delighted that you were able to participate in today's program. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care, all. Bye-bye. Bye.